To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Now, I want to share with you some of our ideas, some of the philosophy for Disney World. I've always said there will never be another Disneyland, and uh, I think it's going to work out that way. So that there is a distinction between Disneyland in California and whatever Disney does in Florida. Well, it sounds pretty good. In fact, that's just the right spirit. Here in Florida, we have something special we never enjoyed at Disneyland. The blessing of size. There's enough land to hold all the ideas and plans we can possibly imagine. W. Everybody and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 298 for the week of October 27th, 2012. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic to wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, CDs, and more. You can find it all over at www.radio.com. This week, I invite you to join me on a quest through Walt Disney World as we explore the details, stories, tributes, and references layered throughout the parks to the man who truly started it all as we look to finding Walt in Walt Disney World. It's a fun journey that'll hopefully help you connect the dots between what you see and the meaning and the man behind it. And to the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week for your chance to win a Disney prize package. I'll then have some announcements, including how you can help the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. So I want to take just a minute to say thank you and to ask for your help because you know I consider each and every one of you not just a friend but part of my extended family and you have once again demonstrated your friendship and support because WDW Radio was just nominated for a podcast award in the travel category over at podcastawards.com. I am sincerely honored and humbled and grateful for that recognition and now I'd like to please ask for your help. Starting November 1st, Please visit podcastawards.com and vote for WDW Radio in the travel category, which is located on the lower right corner in the slate of categories. Also, be sure to include your name and a valid email address because your vote is likely going to need to be verified by clicking on an email you're going to receive from the podcast awards. Now, please note, you can vote once per day, every day, until the voting period ends and your daily votes are going to be necessary and important to help the show. Because you also know that at the end of every show, I ask that if you like the show, please help spread the word and tell others. And if possible, I'd like to ask if you could please do the same here. Tweet out the link and information and share it on Facebook and let others know as well. I want to thank you all again for your support and most of all for the friendship that you have extended to me. The greatest reward has been getting to share my passion for Disney with you And for that gift, I am grateful beyond words. Please don't forget 
to start voting daily November 1st over at podcastawards.com. And thanks again. The initial stage here has to top what we have, or at least be the equivalent of what we have now in California. Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called Disney World project. Everything in this room may change time and time again as we move ahead. But the basic philosophy of what we're planning for Disney World is going to remain very much as it is right now. We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish. And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled at Walt Disney Productions. Walt Disney World is all about story and details. And over the years, I've looked to introduce you to many of those throughout the parks and resorts. And we've looked to see how real history has come to life, our childhood stories that have been retold on a three-dimensional stage, and peeled back some of the many layers of the onion to reveal the incredible attention to detail and storytelling that the Imagineers have woven into the very fabric of everything we see and experience. And along the way, we've also been introduced to some of the many remarkable people who've helped make that happen, from Disney legends to Imagineers, to those people that continue to make magic every single day. But this week, I want to look at where it all really began. Not with a mouse, but with a man. So today, I invite you to join me on a quest to find Walt as we seek out and discuss tributes to Walt Disney the man in Walt Disney World. And joining me this week is Jamie Hecker. He is a lifelong Disney fan who... Being the good father that he is, is passing on his love of Disney to his kids. He also is a contributor to Celebrations Magazine, so I want to welcome Jamie to the show. Hey, great to be here, Lou. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on, buddy, and I think this is a, I think this is a great idea. We've talked about this sort of offline in the past before because I've done shows about Walt Disney One Man's Dream and, and some of the other things that we're going to touch on today, but I really sort of, you know, we all have this, this love and respect and almost reverence for Walt Disney. But of course, most of the people who come to the parks, like us, have were probably not alive to see Walt on TV. Uh, and believe it or not though, part of what was the inspiration for this was, believe it or not, some people actually still think of him as a fictional character. That's right. Uh, I was fortunate to be alive briefly when uh, he was alive, and I saw him on the wonderful world of Disney every Sunday night in recorded form. But there's current generations of, of park guests who don't know about him. I was had the good fortune of going to Disney World last spring with my six-year-old uh, twins, and I realized that to them this is a brand-new, exciting world, and I hard to, to believe that they may not know the entire rich history of Walt Disney the man. They know that it's a brand. They know it's a company, as other guests do. But Walt Disney was a man before it all began. Yeah, and I think some people are saying, you know, this is impossible. You know, that's not true. It's impossible to quote Luke Skywalker. But it is true. And there's actually a quote from 
Tim O'Day, who many of you who are familiar with uh, D23, he is a, uh, a famous Disney historian. He says that, you know, a lot of people even today don't realize that he was a real person. They think he was a made-up character or a brand figure like the Quaker Oats guy or, or Betty Crocker. Betty right? Crocker, he took right. my words there, yes. And so he tells a story about how or a uh, reporter went up to the partner statue, obviously the, the statue of Walt of Mickey that we'll talk about today, and he asked some kids to identify the two figures in that statue. He said every kid, of course, recognized Mickey Mouse, but they had no idea who the person was, right? And he, so he says, too many people have no idea who the flesh and blood Walt Disney was. And if we can grasp the lessons of his life, the world would be a much better place. Tim O'Day, once again, I agree with you. Great quote. Great quote there. Yeah, and yeah. you have mentioned, you know, sort of this was sort of maybe the catalyst for not just stuff we're going to see in the parks, but this sort of helped bring about the creation of the Walt Disney Family Museum. That's correct. Yeah, the, uh, the director, Richard Benefield, was... Um, quoted as saying part of the motivation to come up with the, the museum to Walt the person was to address the public perception that he was uh, a character created by the company level. Uh, not a real person, just a, something like we said, Betty Crocker. Yeah, and I'm sure many people sort of scratch their heads and, and people who knew Walt, has that's got to be frustrating for them because one of the greatest benefits of doing the show and what I've done is getting a chance to meet and interview people that have met Walt and worked with Walt and knew him well. And you see how they still speak about him with such reverence and such love and respect to the point that it elicits an emotional response. So when they probably hear the fact that some people today still don't realize that there was a man behind this and he's not the, the Quaker Oats guy, um, it's got to be frustrating. But that's one of the reasons why I think what we're going to do today is going to be a lot of fun because I think there's a lot of different ways Walt has been brought to the parks in tribute, in physical form, in subtle reference. So what I thought we would do is go park by park and then maybe sort of end on what may be kind of that ultimate tribute to Walt Disney. So I think it's uh, fitting that we start really where it all began in the Main Street on Main Street USA. Um, and I'll sort of kick this off by saying, rather than me looking at it, when I, when I was thinking about these tributes in the parks and going park by park, as I was taking sort of a virtual tour of Main Street in my head, the first thing I thought of was not something specific, but it was all of Main Street itself, right? Because it's not yes. a recreation of it, but it very much was inspired by and modeled after his Ma idealized memories of Marceline, Missouri. Yes, he lived there for four years, but they're very informative, uh, catalytic years for Walt. Marceline was the idyllic uh, small-town America to him, and it stayed with him the rest of his life. And it uh, served as the inspiration, uh, working with Harper Goff and his memories of uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, and putting together the idyllic Main Street, and that uh, first on Disneyland and in Disney World. Yeah, and if you look at pictures of Marceline and sort of their, their Main Street, Kansas Avenue, you could see how it influences some of the architectural elements of uh, Main Street, primarily in, in Disneyland, but even in Walt Disney World as well, too. So it, it's not, you know, I think a lot of people think this is where Walt grew up, but it's not. It's it very much, look, Walt Disney loved America. He believed in America. He li He literally lived the American dream. So this idea of this idealized, turn-of-the-century, small-town Main Street USA with simple buildings and things like that really very much harkens back to Walt Disney himself. 
Yes. Yes, it does. And um, even before you enter Main Street, you're actually walking under the uh, Walt Disney World Walt Disney World Railroad uh, Station, and the railroad itself is is a manifestation of of Walt the Man. How his childhood in Marceline, his uh, teenage years in Kansas City, working on on the railroad lines as a as a news butcher. Um, the railroad really does give us a uh, a sense of Walt the Man. Uh, in the park, beginning with the Carrollwood Pacific in his backyard, that uh, that's something that he carried forward to all the parks. And I think when you look at the train station, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it, it does represent so much. And when you think about things like the Carrollwood Pacific, and we all know the story about this one-eighth scale model, I think this is not only a reference to Walt, but his oh-so-very understanding wife, Lillian. <laughs> so when he says, listen, by the way, I want to build this thing in the backyard, she's like, just fine, do whatever you want. Just build it with your, you know, your tunnels and your mountains and things like that uh, up in the Holmby Hills section of, of Los Angeles. But even beyond the Cowwood itself and what it represented to Walt on a personal level from his love of trains, how it now encircles every of the Disney theme parks, there's even more that you can find on the railroad itself and inside the rail station. Yes, yes, there are. Uh, we're start talk about the uh, the train locomotive number one with the Walter E. Disney. Uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful train. And his wife, his patient and loving wife, uh, gets a her own <laughs> train as well. It's only fitting the Lily uh, Lily Bell. And uh, Roy O. Disney, the brother who made it all happen uh, behind the scenes uh, in terms of making the dream come alive. He gets his own train as well. And of course, Walter Roger Brogy has uh, the fourth train. Yeah. And one of these days I, I have, and I intend to do a show about Roy um, because I think Roy very much, not only there are many references to Roy as well, but I think his story needs to be shared as well. But yeah, so that, that number one train that Walter E. Disney, I think one of the things that makes, I think there is something special about the train. And look, I've been to Walt Disney World hundreds and hundreds of times, but there's something still that is special about that. I don't know if it's because these are authentic, you know, early 1920s locomotives that Disney found in the Yucatan Peninsula, (laughs) or because it is that close connection to Walt Disney uh, that does it. But even inside the train, like there's, you can see Walt's personal love of trains. You can see his connection to the Santa Fe Railroad. There's great storytelling in the train bulletins, referencing not only Disney films, but Walt's love of trains, and like you said, people like a, a Ward Kimball or a Roger Brogy. Absolutely. And, and it's not just the trains themselves, it's the sounds of the trains, the sights. You don't have to be there in the park. You can hear the train whistle, and you're instantly transported there. And so that is how it all comes together for me. I, I will watch videos and just listen to the train whistle. Yeah, and there's take, there's something, there. a simple pleasure, a simple sort of romantic pleasure, <clears throat> excuse me, about riding the train. But, you know, as long, before we even move into Magic Kingdom, we might as well reference one of the multiple uh, other physical references to Walt Disney. And that's on the train station itself, even before you pass under that that first movie, you know, that movie credit that goes to Walt Disney. Yes. And that uh, it's and it's probably enough. It's to guess when you walk in the park, the first thing you see is Main Street and then Cinderella Castle behind you is is the first uh, reference to Walt. And it's it's nicely tucked away and it does a great job of talking about uh, the reason that you're there. Walt, Walt Disney, the man. 
Yeah, so if you keep this idea of a movie theater analogy in your head, when you first walk into the Magic Kingdom, you're sort of standing there in the lobby, and when a film starts, the first thing you see is the name of the producer, the product. the producer or director and that's Walt Disney and on the railroad station the first window you see it says keeping dreams on track Walter E. Disney chief engineer again referencing his love of trains it's the first one you see on your way in it's the last one you see on your way out and that holds true when you walk into the park and walk down to Cinderella Castle because as you turn and start walking out you'll see the second reference to Walt Disney over the ice cream store and that reads yes. Graduate School of Design and Master Planning. Yeah, master, what a masterful job he did. And uh, I, I, I can't, you know, it's just finding those, those, those tender references within the park and seeing that up there and knowing that there is a reason why it's all put together. And I think like a lot of the windows on Main Street, what what the inscription, what the tagline is for it as well, too, not only necessarily may reference the person or what they did, but I think this one is very telling because I think that's what Walt Disney was. He was a designer. He was a master planner. Look, he was admittedly not the best artist in the world, but what no. he did, what made he, him and this company successful is he surrounded himself by the people who he knew were the best at what they did. And the other names that are, are around this window are names like Richard Irvine and John Hench and Marvin Davis and Bill Martin and Chuck Mile, all these guys who worked for WED that helped sort of bring, you know, everything we see in the Magic Kingdom together. And, and General Joe Potter as well. Built the magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we were talking about this before, we said, yeah, you know, you said, yeah, there's, there's two windows on Main Street. And I said, no, there's actually three. And this is one that I like showing to people because I think it's one that's often overlooked but is one of my favorite windows, even though it's not really a window, it's kind of a door. Because in 2005, uh, if you look uh, by Disney Clothiers on the west side of Main Street, USA, there is a casting agency door that honors all the current and former cast members. And so while all the windows you see on Main Street Honor Disney legends, people who were instrumental in the in the building of the company and the literal building of Walt Disney World. Walt Disney is mentioned here as founder and director emeritus. And the quote is one that I love. And I think that this, Jamie, I'm sure you agree, is what makes Disney different. It takes people to make the dream a reality. You can't do it without the people. Absolutely. And the funnel cakes. You can't do it without the people <laughs> and the funnel. That's really what Walt was talking about was the people yeah, and, and the funnel cakes. And some doll whips, too. <laughs> There's your obligatory food reference. There you go. It didn't take very long to get that in. So moving down uh, Main Street, I guess toward the hub is the partner statue. Um, this is a, an actual manifestation. You talked about it, how uh, how kids were interviewed. And, and I know who Mickey Mouse is, but who's the, the other gentleman? And Blaine Gibson, um, masterful sculptor for Disney, put together... Um, uh, the love and tribute to Walt here, and it's a great photo opportunity when it's not crowded around it, and it's it's a nice way to to um, put it all together. Yeah, and I think you know this is what people I think when they think of tributes to Walt is most logically the first thing that comes to mind. And, and look, there's a great history and a great backstory to this. I want to reference you to show number two nineteen where we actually did a very detailed look, sort of a Disney scene investigation on the partner statue. But 
beyond looking at the statue itself and the details that are on it, like the reference to Smoke Tree Ranch and the clatter ring that was very personal to he and Lillian, you know, read the read things like the plaque where it says, we believe in our idea, a family park where parents and children can have fun together. And if you listen to the show, you'll learn about how this was, was inspired by uh, a, a print that was created in 1981 and then eventually this desire to create a statue for Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But I think, Jamie, one of the things that's important about this is how and when Walt was depicted. You know, because when people talk about, you know, a movie about Walt or an audio animatronic Walt, how and where do you, you, do, you do it? And Gibson wanted to really make Walt appear not as he was very late in his life or very early in his life, like the storyteller statue out at uh, Disney California Adventure on Buena yeah. Vista Street. But this yeah. is really like Walt, like Walt in like the mid to early 1950s, 1954, 1955, really uh, when Walt was sort of at his prime. Absolutely. That's like when they're hitting on all, all cylinders, the company, the man, the dreams. Yeah. And one of the, the things I love about the story, too, is... Uh, again, the the many different incarnations that the statue went through about what he was going to be doing was going to be by himself, was going to be with Mickey, was going to be with Lillian, standing, sitting. And there's a lot of different iterations where Walt was holding plants for Epcot or Mickey was holding a an ice cream cone in his hand. But I think the story about how they were able to determine the reference point for how tall Mickey Mouse was <laughs> is really interesting because they never had it. They never really saw Mickey with a an adult human except for one thing, and that was in Fantasia, when Leopold Sokowski leaned over. Absolutely, and that's your reference point there. Yeah, and the, and the other thing too is it's it's a, it's a little bit skewed because Walt was about five ten. This statue is about six five. Again, just to give it a <laughs> sense of scale. So larger than life, force perspective. I, I need people to do that with, with pictures of me. They need to, I need to look taller than I really am in real. I have to get Blaine Gibson down here. Yeah, well, it helps <laughs> if you have a pedestal also in the. That's right. <laughs> Um, and I think maybe one thing that I wanted to reference, which may not be something as you sort of go through in your mind, references to Walt, is actually in the castle itself. Because you look at the castle, and it is Cinderella Castle, obviously. But I think it, it's important to note that the castle suite, which is located in there now, that Disney put in um, in 2006 to make that, that castle suite that they used for Year of a Million Dreams, that originally was planned to be an apartment for the Disney family. Obviously, there's one in Dis- there's an apartment in Disneyland over the train station. This was meant to be one for the Disney family, obviously, because he passed away so early in the development. They left that space there, and it was used for a number of different uh, things, like where the telephone operators were and yep. storage. But ideally, that's where Walt, Walt's apartment was supposed to be. And that's, this is the top item on my Disney bucket list. I don't know how I'll get up there, but that will be... That will end everything for me. Just, just, just getting up there and seeing that that prime location and the views of the park, and just knowing the history of of it all. Um, that you know, he's not there to enjoy it. The family's not there, but uh, that it was created uh, with him in mind um, for the for the East Coast East Coast Park. That um, that's very telling. Absolutely. So, so let's stay in the Magic Kingdom because, believe it or not, there's actually a lot more even beyond Main Street in the castle. Well, uh, keeping in the family tradition, uh, Walt himself has uh, obviously a rich genealogy heritage. Uh, his paternal grandfather, Keppel Disney, has a couple of tributes within the park. And uh, Keppel ha- has a nice 
Germanic sounding name to it. It's actually Irish. And it's a small, uh, it's not even a plaque, it's more of a, a decorative a heart. It's uh, the Dutch American tradition, given the, the, the backstory of the German family that lives here. And it uh, says Keppel, established 1779, fits in beautifully with the story of Liberty Square and uh, the old Christmas shop. But Keppel, there's a nod to Walt's grandfather. And, and I love this one, and I think this is one that so many people walk by and it's difficult to make the connection because Keppel, they don't know, is it a, is it a surname? Is it somebody's last name? Because it is, in a, for the story of Liberty Square, it is. It's that Pennsylvania German, that, that family that is the uh, the tailors of the tailor shop along with the woodcarver shop and the musician shop, Ichabod Crane. And most people, I think this is one that a lot of people will, will see and never make that connection to Walt to. And that's it's not the only Keppel in the park now. Because if you go to Frontierland uh, in one of the shop's windows, you'll see a, a, a feed bag that says Uncle Keppel and Sons Feed and Farm Supply. So we have Keppel getting two tributes within the park. And I figure as long as – since we're going to mention Keppel, right, we can say that uh, he was born in 1832 in Ireland. He came over to uh, America when he was a child. When he married Mary Richardson, they had 11 children. And that's a, a stunning thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eleven <laughs> children, uh, one of whom was the father to Walt and Roy, and that was Elias, who also has a window over on East Center Street on Main Street, USA. Yeah, so we've got the family tree in the park, not just Walt. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of parks, we mentioned at the beginning Carrollwood, the Carrollwood Pacific Railroad and the reference to it at um, – the Walt Disney World Railroad, the, the Main Street Railroad Station, certainly it's over at Wilderness Lodge as well, too. But yes. recently there was another addition, and I, and I love this, and I love where they put it as well, too, because over in Storybook Circus, there's a reference to Carrollwood Park as well, because the Carrollwood, the, the, the train station there that they rebuilt when they took down that oh-so-very-temporary uh, Mickey's Birthday Land train <laughs> station, the Carrollwood Park station totally fits in with this late 30s, early 40s idea of this this traveling circus coming to town. They are the most beautiful restrooms in Walt Disney World. <laughs> I kid you they not. Are, but it's a great the, yeah. reference. It's a great reference. And I, and I like the fact that it's there in Storybook Circus. Yeah, yeah. I was there briefly uh, in the not so surprising summer rains of, of Florida. And we made a beeline for the train station to, uh, to get back to Main Street. And I had a beautiful opportunity to take in Harrowwood Park. Yeah. And trust me, go there for the restrooms. <laughs> Next stay, visit. <laughs> go for Stumbo, stay for the restrooms. So, um, and there's one that we really want to, we want to sort of save what I think is one of probably the most obscure and overlooked and possibly very personal to Waltz to the end. But there's one too that I think that we have to mention in specifically an attraction. And look, a lot of the attractions obviously Walt had his hand in. Walt very much touched. The Country Bear Jamboree was Walt's last laugh. And we know about his connection to things like Pirates of the Caribbean and It's a Small World. But I think if... if, Right, but I think if we have to mention specifically an attraction, I think we need to include in this list Walt Disney's, not only his Enchanted Tiki Room, because it is Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. The audio animatronic bird was sort of the catalyst for everything, and that came from his personal travels with Lillian, because Walt loved to travel. But I think more specifically, Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. 
has Walt's hand. It has Walt's imprint on that. And you can see Walt in the queue singing along with the Sherman brothers. And that's that's that to me is also brings it all back. It's it's an old school attraction. I, I hope it stays there. And um, I, I love the way that you can really touch and feel Walt's imprint. And hear it. So for those kids who think Walt Disney is like Betty Crocker, you can hear him. You can still see him on screen singing with uh, Richard and Robert Sherman. So, But let's, let's go back to one that we sort of round out Main Street, uh, round out Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom with, and that could be found on Main Street USA. And it's not where people think it most likely is. That's right. Um, we're going to talk about, um, if you have a want to have some more food again, you can maybe eat at Tony's Town Square and looking across the street. Well, actually, Tony's Town Square obviously is, is a reference to Lady and the Tramp. Uh, and you look across the street to the Chapeau uh, hat, uh, you'll see the, you know, a beautiful pink hat box recreating a, a, a wonderful scene from the movie in which uh, Jim Deere gives his wife Darling the, the puppy from the box. And it's appropriate enough that that is a chapeau, the hat store. That's fine. That's, that's kind of where the reference is. But there's more because that scene from the movie was inspired by a real-life event from Walt giving Lillian a pet dog under uh, the Christmas tree, um, a, a chow dog named uh, Suni, I believe. And uh, hearing him tell about the story, how he had to get the, uh, the dog into the box, the box under the tree without his wife catching him. <laughs> and then the, box, then the dog starts to, to wiggle within the box and catches Lillian off guard. Lillian uh, off guard. So it's a, it's a sweet story how it seems to be a movie reference. The movie reference is real, but it was inspired by Walt himself. And that's what I love about this. I love how you're able to connect the dots, the, 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 I don't say the dogs, connect the dots from Walt to Lillian to the film to, you know, the hat box to the park and the hat box located directly across the street. One that seems to be a disconnect for most people now hopefully will help let them bring it together. So yeah. I think that is one of my favorite sort of very much overlooked, very obscure Walt Disney references in the parks. Um, one that's not obscure, but that's going to help us sort of go to some of the other parks is obviously the dedication plaque um, that's right in the center of Town Square. It was dedicated in, on October 25th by Roy O. Disney, where the statue of Roy and Minnie, that sharing the magic statue, sit right in the shadow of Roy's window on Main Street, USA. But I think it's significant, and I mention it here because this plaque very much is about Walt, right? It says it's a tr Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and life of Walter Elias Disney. And then it goes on to say the talents and the dedication, the loyalty of the entire Disney organization, but it's about them making Walt Disney's dream come true. This idea of creating this happy place where everyone can come together and laugh and play and learn. So that dedication is not about this theme park. It's not about what it represents. It's about a tribute to Walt Disney. And, and the fact that it's Walt Disney World instead of Disney World just gives it a little bit more humanity. Absolutely. And I think this dedication plaque connects to one of, and I'm sure we're probably overlooking more than one, but I think this is one that lets us jump over to Epcot Center because that dedication plaque as well in the very first sentence says to all to come who come to this place of joy, hope, and friendship – 
Epcot is inspired by Walt Disney's creative visions. It's about Walt. It brings it back full circle to Walt and how Epcot now is about human achievements and imagination and wonders and enterprise and, and benefits for all and what Epcot represents. But it starts off by saying that it is about Walt Disney's creative vision. And the interesting thing, Jamie, is that when you leave that plaque and start going to some of the other ones, <laughs> like when we go over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, the dedication plaque there does not mention Walt Disney, although it sits next to a statue of young Walt as a director at the end of Hollywood Studio at the end of Hollywood Boulevard. I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yes, he's uh, got his eye behind the lens and uh, he's got the director's cap on. And it's it's a young, dapper Walt, much like uh, he would be there at there on on Buena Vista Street in Disney California Adventure. Right, and and even though it doesn't reference Walt, I mean Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yeah, we know the story about how it came about it being inspired from an Epcot Center attraction, but it is it does go back to Walt. Disney's Hollywood Studios, uh, in and of itself, goes goes back to Walt. And if you listen to some older episodes where I tour the park with. Uh, Charlie Ridgway, who's a Disney legend, or Jim Corkus. We talk about how Hollywood Studios goes back to what Walt wanted to bring out to the studios out in Disneyland. But there's a lot of other references to Walt here as well, too, some of which may be a little bit more apparent than others. Yes, and uh, if you thought the partner statue, as beautiful as it is, is just a little bit out of um, out of touch, you can't get up close to it, well then walk over to the uh, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame Plaza because there is a bust of Walt Disney and you can pose with it. You can get up close and personal. It is there. My kids have done that. Uh, I've, I'll do that on my next trip when they're not hogging the camera. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the Hollywood, the uh, uh, Academy of uh, Television Arts and Science Hall of Fame Plaza located next to the American Idol Experience is a great way that you can find busts of legends of TV like Lucille Ball, Oprah Winfrey, Bob Newhart, and yeah, of course, Walt Disney. And this, honestly, Jamie, goes back not to necessarily this statue, this bust, the sculptor Blaine Gibson, but it, it sort of was the catalyst for the partner statue as well, too, because this was created in 1962 by Disney legend Blaine Gibson, actually at the request of... Dick Irvine. And so Blaine created this um, this sculpture, which he was actually not, you know, very uh, happy with. But when he showed it to Walt, Walt's like, what are you doing? Statues are for dead people. You know, he, didn't, he never <laughs> wanted a statue of him, although at some point he obviously lost his say. But what is also unique about this is uh, if you look very carefully at it and go to the back, there is actually... Something that's unique about this in terms of Blaine Gibson, because this is the only statue you can find of Blaine Gibson that he actually signed, and it has his name and the date 1991 on the back. And Disney fans will know the name or the work of Blaine Gibson, but not necessarily the name or the face, but famous sculptor, uh, Disney legend, legend in his own right. And here's his one signature in the park. Absolutely. And I, and I think people, this is one of the things that people have probably walked by a thousand times. And if you've never taken two minutes to stop and look for it, I, I think that you should. Yeah, they're all just bronze uh, busts. Uh, there are others in there. And if, you, if you're not looking for it deliberately, you will walk past it. Absolutely. So one of, um, I, I love the obscure. Um, I, it, you know, these are the things that I get excited. These are the things that I look for 
as I go through the parks. And something like a, a chapeau, which might seem as though it has no connection to Walt. It's just an excuse to have uh, the hat store, because that's exactly where it is on Main Street USA. Throughout Disney's Hollywood Studios, we've touched on this on shows in the past, there are lots of references to um, Hollywood lore, Hollywood legends, Hollywood fake lore, sort of this 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 imagineered idea of this Hollywood that never was. But there's also references to real places and real people. And if you go to another one of my, we got to bring this back to food in the Echo <laughs> Lake area, uh, across from Min and Bill's Dockside Diner, you'll find PV's Polar Pipeline, which kids, it gets to be 113 degrees in the summer. A frozen Coke is your best friend, but there's also great references to one of my favorite Disney movies, The Rocketeer here, but I digress. If you're looking at PVs, uh, to the left and the right and around that entire Keystone Clothiers building, you'll find a number of doors. Some are false, some are lead to some cast member areas. And one of them says, Holly Vermont Realty. And believe it or not, this is a direct reference to Walt in the very, very early days of the Disney company when he couldn't afford to have this full-blown studio and to pay rent for an entire building. He paid $10 a month at for a room at the back of a real estate office, Holly Vermont Realty. This started back in 1923, 1923 on Kingswell Avenue in Los Angeles. Again, it's so it's appropriate story-wise for being in this section of, of Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's where they began. They very quickly outgrew it. Uh, again, there's a uh, I think there's a, a show where Jim and I are walking around talking about references to Hollywood Studios. I have a video I'm going to put out this as well, too, to help you kind of find it. But I, I love this because it's about Walt. It's about the brothers themselves and how they eventually sort of move from Kingswell Avenue over to Hyperion Avenue. And the Disney company just you know grows exponentially from there. It's, it's a fascinating story. I'm in the process of rereading Bob uh, Thomas's uh, biography of Walt, and we talk about the early years of Walt struggling in Los Angeles. And uh, you arrived in town with a wooden cardboard suitcase and $40 cash, and uh, he quickly got to business of realizing his dreams. And you got to start small. So you rent mm -hmm. a, a back room of a local reality office, and uh, appropriately enough, above in the window above the door, it says for rent because Walt has moved on. Walt has moved on. But if you've ever seen any of the Alice comedies, that's where they were created. I mean, in you don't need a lot of room. They were created in the back of that real estate office. So it, it sort of lets you give gives you a sense of what was created where before they started to move on to, to bigger and better spaces. So what's another one for you? What's another one of the ones that, that you find or that you like or we want to sort of point people to references to Walt at Hollywood Studios? Well, I, my kids love the Backlot Tour. Um, I think they're fascinated by the Catastrophe Canyon. But uh, the nice tribute there, and, and they'll come right on and say it, uh, as you're doing the, the Backlot Tour, you see the corporate plane. Uh, N234MM. All, all planes have to have a registered uh, FAA uh, code name. Appropriately enough, the Disney corporate plane is for Mickey Mouse. And uh, you, know, you talk about how Walt and the, uh, the corporate leaders had to very clandestinely purchase all the land in Florida. This is the plane that helped fly them over to make the decisions, looking down on Bay Lake and seeing the, the beautiful property there. That's where, that's where he came up with the decision to uh, pick Florida. And there's a piece of actual corporate history. Walt flew in that plane, and there it is on the backlot tour. 
Yeah, so, and the other thing, too, was, you know, Walt had his imprint on that plane as well, too. Not just because he flew in it, but he helped to contribute to the design of the plane. And Lillian chose the colors and the patterns and the materials that were going to be used in it. Uh, Walt actually used to like to sit in the cockpit. He was sort of a little jump seat behind the cockpit, although I'm sure it was probably frowned on having Walt in the cockpit. <laughs> but, you know, uh, that end, that November 234 Mickey Mouse was a that tail number was actually used on a number of different planes going way back to when they had a, a Queen Air and then a King Air and then moved it over to this Gulfstream one that you have on the tour. But you're right. What I like about this is that this brings it back to that very first time, that time that Walt flew over, actually the day that President Kennedy was shot, and looked down on Riles Island and Bay Lake and said, this is it. This is where we're going to build. So that connection is not just to Walt's mode of transportation and, and you know way he would sort of travel back and forth, but really was instrumental in the selection of this location for Walt Disney World. That's that's I love that little history because I've, I'm fascinated by how it all came about, Project X, uh, and how do you purchase 40 three square miles without uh, getting on anyone's radar. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, uh, you know, in 2012, certainly, but no, no. Um, you know, I think we should mention another one too. And uh, as we sort of, as I'm, as you go through some of the different attractions in Hollywood studios, I think there's one that um, is, you know, it doesn't, people don't, you don't need to get a fast pass for it. It's not Toy Story Mania, but it's one that I love. And it's actually the magic of Disney animation. And this is one that has changed a lot throughout the years. And one of the things that I really like about this, and we covered this on show 261 in more detail, when we looked at Walt Disney and the Oscars. And in here, you can find in a display case, um, in sort of the animation gallery area, this, uh, a number of Oscars that were given to Walt Disney, including the special Oscar that was created just for him for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And those are beautiful. I, everyone knows the iconic scene of, of Shirley Temple giving him to Walt Disney. Aren't they just wonderful? And uh, it's, it's the 1937, a feature-length animation that had never been done before, Walt's Folly. Uh, it made history. The rest is history. So seeing these, and I believe they, these are replicas. I think the Family Museum has the originals. Right. and But the, I think there are some there. I think there's a couple that are real. There's a, he re, Obviously, he received you know, so many, uh, you know, a record-setting number of Academy Awards. You'll see some there for uh, some of like his True Life Adventure series uh, in, in there as well, too, or some of the other awards he had gotten for um, some of his other films. So I think some may be real. Some may be replicas like the Snow White ones, which I believe are at the uh, the family museum yes yes that's uh, another item on my any disney fans bucket list is to get out to san francisco to the presidio to see uh, the family museum up close and personal we're going next year we're, <laughs> we're taking ww radio on the road and we're going to san francisco we're we need to make the pilgrimage to the walt disney family museum i think i need a fundraiser <laughs> <laughs> it's a research trip you need research. to come for for research here, I, I'll keep that in mind. There you go. So, all right. I think what we should do is, I think again, we've tried to sort of save the the you know ultimate Walt tribute at Hollywood Studios for last, and clearly that is an overlooked attraction, one that I think every Disney guest and Disney enthusiast needs to go to see more than once because it changes, and certainly it's Walt Disney one man's dream. 
and I cannot spend enough time in this room. Um, it is so fascinating, the timeline, the details, uh, seeing the, the you know, miniature product, the uh, scale models in there of, of attractions, the Jungle Cruise as it was being conceived, um, the WED camera when he was uh, giving his, his uh, famous uh, Florida speech. And it's, it's just a beautiful arrangement. And I encourage everyone to go see it, not just once, but as you said, multiple times, because you'll get something new out of it every time. Yeah, and what I like about this is, is, like you said, it does change from time to time. It changed again recently. But I think, Jamie, what is great about this is this attraction opened in 2001. And the reason why was to celebrate not, you know, Hollywood Studios' 10th anniversary or so. It was to celebrate the centennial of Walt Disney's birth, right? It goes all the way back to Walt with this. And I think there are so many different elements to this attraction, like you said, that, that walk through sort of a pre it's really kind of a pre-show area right Where, which is yes it really is a museum of disney artifacts some are replicas many of them are original I, I love granny's cabin which it it is touched by walt walt built this by hand and it takes you through a chronological journey through his life his personal life and his professional career uh you that replica of walt's office from the disney studios and obviously the film as well uh, things that, you know, models, right? So now the, the model of Fantasyland is in there, as well as models from some of the very early Disney World and, and Disneyland attractions. Uh, I, I like the fact that it, it chronicles not just his business life, but his personal life as well. Uh, and it's not just about all of his successes. It talks about some of his failures as well, which I, I, which I find inspiring as well. Uh, I think this is something, like you said, Everyone certainly needs to see, and again, I have to go back and reference show number 140, which we did, wow, three years ago. We actually did a walking tour of Walt Disney One Man's Dream, Jim Corcus and I, to give you sort of an audio tour of it, to give you a sense of what is in there and what you have to make sure you don't miss on your next visit. Yeah, I I finally recall that episode. I listened to it multiple times just because I can't spend myself enough time in this exhibit, so hearing him retail the stories it brought it all back to me so this is again it'll be on my next trip in january so can't wait for that and so we were talking offline beforehand and i'm sure as soon as we're done i'm going to bang my head into the microphone because i'm sure there's ones that we forgot but as we were mentally going through disney's animal kingdom we were having a tough time picking out any specific mentions of Walt Disney. We know of Walt's love of nature and animals, and it goes back to his True Life Adventure series and his desire for what he wanted the Jungle Cruise originally to be, but specifically by name or by reference, we were unable to find any. So if we if we missed some, I would love people to... This is where the feedback, we need absolutely the feedback. Absolutely. Email me at lou at t- Tell us what we missed Um over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. But I think it would be fun, Jamie, too. There's a couple of extinct attractions or locations that referenced Walt that were very personal to him. Why don't you take the one that you mentioned over in Downtown Disney? Absolutely. Uh, Downtown Disney has been there since uh, 1975, I believe, as the, the World Marketplace. And what is now Fulton's Crab House was originally the Empress Lily Riverboat and named appropriately enough after his wife, Lily. And... You know, again, to casual guests who who may knew that at the time or know it now, 
putting two and two together. It's just another another uh, weaving into the family history of Walt, how he his presence is felt in all four corners of Walt Disney World. Yeah, and, I, and what I like about this, uh, Jamie, too, is that it was designed by Imagineering to really not only make it as true to life as possible, but this was named for Walt's wife. And you know, we, we talk about Walt, we talk about Roy, how instrumental Roy was. Uh, the quote is true. I, I speak from experience that behind, not that I'm saying I'm a great man, but behind every great man is a great woman. And Lillian certainly needs her credit and her due as well, too. She was there when the Lily Bell, uh, the Liberty, the Empress Lily greeted guests for the first time. She christened the ship when it first opened. And I like the fact that there are and were references to Lillian as well in the parks. Uh, the one that I was thinking of when I was thinking of extinct attractions go, takes us back to the Magic Kingdom. It takes us back to Main Street, USA. And it is, of course, the Walt Disney story. Uh, again, like One Man's Dream was sort of the, the predecessor that told the story of his personal life and professional life. It was in what was then known as the Gulf Hospitality House, <laughs> retro, from 1973 until 1992. They constru- So when you look at what is now the Town Square Theater, if you look off to the side and in the back, that theater was constructed specifically for this film. And it actually was a project that went back all the way to 1969, but didn't preview for years later, but they really wanted to accurately tell Walt's story, right? So they had 75 hours of interviews and 200 people that were were working on this production that would eventually play both in Disneyland and in Walt Disney World uh, as well, too. It's a shame that that is not there anymore um, because I think this was like one man's dream. It, it, It really was a great telling of you know, Walt Disney's uh, personal story. Uh, it was a free attraction. So remember the A3 ticket books? Yeah, it was actually I do free. remember those. I go back uh, that far. But it really was like, unlike One Man's Dream, this was sort of like um, a photo album, right? And sort of the, as the pages would, would turn, uh, different parts of his personal life and his career would sort of come to life. And it used a lot of audio clips from Walt himself too. So that was one of the things I, I really, really used to enjoy. And sadly, that's a, a tribute I never got to see. I have been to the Magic Kingdom over the, the decades, but I guess I'm always in the rush to get to Space Mountain. or uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I missed that. And uh, it's sadly, it's no longer with us. You got to slow down, man. Slow down. Slow down. Look up and look around. Uh, the other thing I think we should mention, too, are certainly some of the tours that yeah. you can take throughout Walt Disney World. Keys to the Kingdom at the Magic Kingdom is a great tour. Backstage Magic is seven and a half, eight hours. It's a long day, but it is a fascinating tour. And if you go to Disneyland, uh, I, I need to definitely put this on my bucket list of things to do. They have a walk in Walt's footsteps tour because obviously it is where Walt walked. You get to see Walt's apartment. You get to see at least the lobby of Club 33. You get a private lunch on Main Street USA. Uh, it really sort of brings it back to Walt Disney himself, so uh, I definitely want to hit the Walk in Walt's footsteps, but definitely check out some of the other tours because they really help connect this to Walt Disney as well, too, in Walt Disney World. Yeah, the uh, the Keys of the Kingdom tour I had the, the, the pleasure of doing several years ago. Fascinating. Not just the history of, of the Magic Kingdom, but it tells you a story about Walt and the company and uh, what everything that brought you up to that moment. And, uh, of course, there's the Tilladors tour, which really <laughs> makes it pretty cool. 
Absolutely. So look, we we hit a lot. You know, I think when people think about Walt Disney the Parks, they probably think of the partner statue. They think of one man's dream. They think of the obvious, right? But I'm sure that we there's a potential that we missed any. So if we did, let us know. Email me at lou at www.radio.com or better yet, come to the show notes for this week over at www.radio.com. Leave your comments there and answer the question for the week, which is simply, what is your favorite? What is your favorite tribute or reference to Walt Disney in any of the Walt Disney World theme parks? Again, visit the comment section at the show notes. We can keep the conversation going there as well. Jamie Hecker, I want to thank you for uh, joining me this week. Again, you can find Jamie's articles and work over in Celebrations Magazine in print and on your iPad. You can check it out over at celebrationspress.com. We will definitely have to do this again. And next time you come down to the parks, we'll have to... uh, do a little, we'll do some more searching. We'll do we'll do some more wandering as we search for more references to Walt and the parks. We'll do that as long as we swing through Adventureland and get a doll whip. <laughs> Clearly, you know me very well. <laughs> I know you tours always in there, so yes. <laughs> that sounds good. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun putting this together and working with you, and I hope our listeners enjoy this. Awesome. Thanks again, buddy. Thank you. the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to challenge yourself to see how well you know your Walt Disney World history or trivia, or pay attention to the details, see if you can identify a quote or a line from an attraction or a show. Each week, I'll ask you a new question for a chance to win a Disney prize package, but before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we were in Disney's Hollywood Studios, and wanted to talk about some of those deeper details, and we talked about how Disney Junior Live on Stage is in a location which was previously home to Playhouse Disney Live. That show replaced one of my and my kids' favorites, which was Bear in the Big Blue House. But Bear in the Big Blue House actually replaced a restaurant which was originally in that location. I asked you to identify what the name of that restaurant was that had multiple themes, including Big Business, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. And once again, hundreds of you sent in correct answers. Many of you remembered, some of you did not but you all knew that it was the Soundstage Restaurant. Now that building has always been known as Soundstage 5, and when the restaurant first opened, it was made to look like it was a movie set or a wrap party from a variety of different Disney films that changed over time. It was sponsored by the JM Smucker Company, the Jelly and Jam people, and it was a buffet that also included characters as well. Now originally the restaurant was themed from a Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin film from 1988 called Big Business. In keeping with the theme and story of Disney MGM Studios, it looked as though the set had been struck and there were a lot of filmmaking props around. Even the cast members made you feel as though you were part of this rap party. Eventually, the theme changed. It became Beauty and the Beast, and it went from buffet to counter service in a number of different sort of miniature food courts where you can get pizza, salads, hamburgers. Later on, it became an Aladdin-themed restaurant where characters of the genie and Jafar would be there, and then eventually became Pocahontas, where you could meet Governor Radcliffe and Miko as well. And actually, that's where the golden camels, the now spitting camels that are outside the magic carpets of Aladdin in Adventureland, went after they were part of the Aladdin Royal Caravan Parade. They were out in front of the soundstage restaurant while it was themed towards Aladdin. 
And so in November of 1998, the Soundstage restaurant closed to make room for Bear in the Big Blue House. So thanks again to all of you who entered. And this week, you are playing for a prize package that included all of my audio tours of Walt Disney World, a WW Radio luggage tag, button, and the mystery prize are some items from Epcot's 30th anniversary. So thank you again. Congratulations to everybody who got the answer correct. But this week's winner is Leanne Stoller. So Leanne, congratulations. Please send me your address. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you didn't win, that's okay, because here's your chance to play in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. So this week, we're talking about Walt Disney and with the WW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream with our very special guest, Richard Sherman, coming up in just a couple of days. I thought we would maybe combine the two, because according to Richard Sherman, what was Walt Disney's favorite tune that he would ask the Sherman brothers to come in and play for him on a Friday afternoon. And here's a hint. You can find the answer to this question in WDW Radio show number 80, which is my first interview with Richard Sherman. Now, because I am going to be away on the cruise, I'm going to give you some extra time for this one, but you're also going to play for a special prize as well. You need to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, tell me Walt Disney's favorite Sherman Brothers song that he would ask them to come and play on Friday afternoons. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, November 11th. So you have two weeks to answer this one. And again, you're playing for a prize package that's going to include all of my audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WDW Radio luggage tag and a button, and a Sherman Brothers songbook two-CD set and a signed item from Richard Sherman, which I'll get signed for you on the cruise. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this week. We have a very exciting week ahead of us because the countdown is finally over and our WDW Radio cruise on the Disney Dream with our special guest, Richard M. Sherman of the Sherman Brothers, is finally here. Our cruise leaves Port Canaveral on Sunday, November 4th. And if you can't join us this year, hopefully you'll be able to join us next time. But stay tuned on Wednesday, November 7th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern because I am going to try and do a WDW Radio live broadcast from the ship if the Wi-Fi holds out. Again, that's 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, November 7th over at WDWRadioLive.com. I'm going to also announce the dates for next year's cruise on the Disney Fantasy and a few other surprises as well. You can learn more about our trip on the Fantasy, our trip out to Aulani, our WDW Radio on the road, and much more by visiting the events page over at WDWRadio.com. Be sure and also follow me on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello and Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can subscribe to my page there. In addition to subscribing to the podcast in iTunes, please come by the website for our daily blog posts, contests, new videos, and lots more. You can also find out all the different ways that you can connect with me and subscribe to the show by visiting www.radio.com slash connect. I want the show to be interactive. I want to hear from you so you can come by and comment in this week's show notes. You can also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Leave a comment about this show or just say hi from the parks. If you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com quick thanks to my partners and sponsors including mouse fan travel they're my official recommended travel provider 
of course, helping us put together this cruise, our pre-cruise event party, and lots of other surprises in the future. If you're coming to Disney World, Land, Adventures by Disney, Disneyland Paris, wherever it may be, you can check them out over at mousefantravel.com. When you're coming to Walt Disney World, maybe you want to stay in something a little bit bigger. You want your own pool, spa, game room, multiple master bedrooms so you can bring the entire family. AllStarVacationHomes.com has everything from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. And when you do come down to Walt Disney World, you of course know that it's all about the food. Attractions are just things we do in between eating. You got to check out DisneyFoodBlog.com. There you can purchase their mini guide to the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival, as well as their Disney Food Blog Guide to Walt Disney World Dining. More than 300 pages of information, tips, photos, guides, and lots more. And if you use code WDWRADIO at checkout, you can save on either and both of those guides as well. You want to get a little Disney magic delivered right to your door or right to your iPad? Visit CelebrationsPress.com. There you can subscribe order back issues and find out how you can download it from the iTunes app store right to your iPad as well and as always my friends and you are my friends whether we have met yet or not and I hope to get a chance to meet you at Meets of the Month or other events in the future all I ask is that if you like the show please help spread the word let others know about it tweet out that you're listening share links on Facebook please rate and review the show over on iTunes and of course please start voting over at podcastawards.com every day starting November 1st And most importantly, I want you to keep your eyes focused on the windshield and not the rearview mirror, right? So don't worry about the past. Just focus on the future and always keep moving forward. Stay positive. Have a great week, everybody. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou. This is Jesse from Deerwood, Minnesota. Calling to say thank you for your podcast. Uh, I own a lawn and landscape business and getting through uh, hour after hour sitting on a lawnmower. It doesn't seem so bad when I'm uh, listening to you talk about the world. I was wondering if I could use your show to tell my boys that we are coming down. Uh, We've been saving for a long time, and uh, we are leaving Thanksgiving Day to spend a week down in Disney World, and my boys don't know what we're keeping a surprise until we leave. We live in northern Minnesota. We're driving down, so we have about 30 hours in the car to listen to old back episodes of the podcast, and I think it would be a fun way for them to find out where we're going. Uh, so, if possible, Ethan and Brandon, uh, yeah, we're not just heading to Grandma's. We're heading to Disney World, too. Uh, thank you very much for all you do, Lou. Um, and for uh, MEI, uh, because of your podcast, we contacted them. Uh, we're dealing with Caroline. Uh, just phenomenal. She got us an upgrade for Riverside from Pop for just about nothing, and it's just an, an amazing experience. And I just want to say thank you very much for all you do for all of us who can't get to the Disney World as often as we'd like to. Thank you for all you do. Have a good day. Bye. Hey, Lou, it's Darlene Yagi from West Seneca, New York. I'm getting ready for our first official DVC trip. Yay! And I'm hoping to get into the Artaft Restaurant on the 19th. We'll still be there. That'll be our last day on November 19th. So I'm hoping to get in there for a maybe quick service lunch. Um, I really wish I was going on the cruise. I've been tears that we can't go this year, but it just didn't pan out with my husband's vacation. He's a week later than what the cruise was. 
So, but at least I'm getting to go to Disney, and I will be there to meet up with a few people that will be on the cruise, uh, like Kelly and Joe, her mom. So I am excited. I'll miss my friends, though, that are going to be on there, like Lori and Stuart, Michelle, and everyone. Um, I'm really, really excited about going to Disney, though, and can't wait. So my countdown is on for the let going to the single digits soon. Um, everybody have a great time. Be safe, and I'll see you real soon. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is Tim Stenzel from Rochester, New York. Uh, just call to let you know we just got back from uh, Walt Disney World this past Saturday, October 27th. We spent about three days there. And uh, three days at the Universal. I'm sorry, I mentioned the U word. But anyways, I just wanted to let you know, I just heard your uh, your newscast about the changes in Pirates of the Caribbean. And my daughter noticed, she said that she thought she saw the mermaids in the water itself. And I didn't see those. But they give off the illusion like they're swimming around underneath you. Uh, I did see the skeleton uh, of the mermaid. And we did hear them singing. And I got to tell you, that really added a lot to the, uh, the effect of it and uh, brought it more into part four. Um, so just wanted to let you know we uh, did see it. We noticed it right away. We go to Walt Disney World on a regular basis, so, you know, it's kind of cool to see that. Uh, all right. Uh, keep up the great work on the show. Bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.